Welcome back to the 4 for 4 NFL Team Preview Series. I'm Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rand. And folks, we continue to move forward previewing each and every one of the 32 NFL teams. And today we have a very special guest who's going to cover two teams for us, the Giants and Jets. Of course, huge teams, a lot of fantasy implications, and some question marks with a lot of upside for both teams as well. We're bringing in Ryan Dunleavy from the New York Post. You can follow him on Twitter at Ry, R-Y Dunleavy. He covers both teams there and the entire NFL for the New York Post, and we are honored to have him here today on the 4 for 14 preview series. Ryan, how you doing? Thanks so much for joining us. Good. How are you? Must be football season. If uh, um, if uh, we're talking fantasy football and football, training camp must be around the corner. It's around the corner, absolutely. And we're going to start with the Giants here. A lot of questions, of course. New York Giants, Brian Dable comes over from Buffalo, takes over for Joe Judge. What have you heard about Dable so far? In the fantasy community, we sort of have high hopes for Daniel Jones because, of course, he's a running quarterback that brings that great upside. So we're hoping that Dable can work some Josh Allen magic like he did in Buffalo there. What are you hearing about Dable so far with the Giants? Yeah, look, I mean, in a perfect fantasy world, then yeah, Daniel Jones would be like your poor man's Josh Allen who can run and pass and, you know, thrive in that offense. But remember, Brian Dable didn't exactly have huge success as an offensive coordinator with like the Chiefs and the Dolphins and the Browns when he was using like Matt Moore and Brady Quinn and uh, whoever else, whoever else those quarterbacks were that he was using, uh, Matt Castle, he wasn't exactly killing it with those guys. So I think that has a lot more to do with Josh Allen being a real unique talent than with Brian Dayball's system. Daniel Jones kind of is what he is at this point, Mike. I mean, he's like turnover prone. I think he'll get back to on the high end, probably what he was as a rookie, which is crazy to say, like, usually guys as a rookie struggle and then you expect them to get better. Daniel Jones has gone in reverse. He was a really, I thought a really promising rookie. I think you'd have the stats closer than I would probably, but I think he, I want to say he had like 22 touchdowns and maybe like 12 interceptions as a rookie that, I mean, that's pretty good. I, if you get that out of Daniel Jones this year, I think that's probably a sign that things are headed back in the right direction. The last two years were an abomination they tried so hard to handicap to take away his turnovers that they took away his aggressiveness. He will definitely have his aggressiveness back this year. Dayball wants him to throw the ball downfield and truthfully doesn't even really care if that means putting it in harm's way. Yeah, you had it here. Daniel Jones, first year, 24 passing touchdowns, over 3,000 passing yards, 13 games. Then he's gone 11 and 10, but the yards per attempt have stayed the same. Completion percentage getting a little bit better, but yes, he has the arm and the ability to take shots. That's what we're looking for. Next up, of course, here, Ryan Saquon Barkley entering year five, oozing with talent. He's become a very polarizing player, both in the NFL and the fantasy community. Barkley, legendary talent. Has he just been snake bitten by injuries and he's going to erupt and get back to his rookie season? Or is he an injury prone star that may never fire again? That's the key question here. What do you think about Barkley in 2022? I mean, look, he's only 25, right? We Are we now going to say that running backs are finished at 25? Like it used to be running backs are finished at 30, right? And like, I'm not going to say that running backs are finished at 25. Look, Saquon Barkley is still the Giants best player. Like, Okay, let me let me maybe rephrase that. He's still the best Giants best playmaker. You might be able to say Andrew Thomas is better as a left tackle, but as far as the weapons go, he's clearly the best one. Um I think he's due for a big season. 
a lot of guys are better two years after their ACL than they are the first year after the ACL. It'll be two years for him around September 20th of this year. And then, look, you want to talk about Daniel Jones being mismatched in the offense they had the last two years with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. I think Saquon Barkley was totally miscast. They used him as an I-form power back. And I get it. He looks. He's all muscle. So he looks like an I-form power back. He's not. He is a slasher, a cutter. I talked to Reggie Bush last week, and Reggie Bush was saying that he thinks Dayball could use him the way that he used Reggie Bush in 2011 with the Dolphins. And I looked it up. I think Bush had like 1,100 rushing, 300 receiving, something like that. Barkley, I think, is a better talent than Reggie Bush. So, like, if he uses him in the same way, if he uses him in the same way, I think 1,500 yards from scrimmage, you know, maybe 45, 50 catches and maybe nine touchdowns total, nine, 10 touchdowns total is probably a fair return for Saquon Barkley. Remember, he had 2,000 yards as a rookie. And then he had, I don't know, maybe 1,500 his second year, missing three games. So talking yards from scrimmage total. So no, I, I would say Saquon Barkley is still an elite talent who's been snake bitten by injuries. And if he can stay healthy, big if, I'd expect big production. Yeah, you nailed it, Ryan. That first year, over 2,000 yards, 15 total touchdowns here in our fantasy world. Overall, RB3. Then 2019, only 13 games played. But like you said, got to 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns, and still got 1,000 yards rushing. So I think a lot of what he does may be tied to the offensive line. Critical piece for the offense this year. Five new faces on the offensive line. First-rounder, Evan Neal from Alabama. And maybe the most important hire here, Ryan, the offensive line coach Bobby Johnson from Buffalo. Bills had a ton of success without really premier talent there in Buffalo, still finding a way to be a cohesive unit. Our own Justin Edwards at 4 for 4 did preseason offensive line rankings. He had the Giants at 29th as a result of their struggles with blown block rate last year. But he did mention that this unit could gel and really go a lot better and rank a lot higher here as the season goes on. How do you see the offensive line this year? Well, I don't can't say I know every offensive lines, uh, every team's offensive line. I'd be surprised if the Giants are 29th. Look, they were the worst offensive line I've ever seen in the last year. I mean, the worst, not just the worst in the league last year, the worst I've seen in five years. Uh, they literally they couldn't bl- open up holes in their running game. Dan, the quarterbacks were under pressure in a in the snap of a fingers. I mean, they literally they debilitated the offense so bad last year. I think that that was the main point of emphasis in the offseason. You mentioned Evan Neal coming in, Mark Lewinsky, who's an average guard, but they haven't had average in a long time. Average for the Giants, what we're talking 16, 17 is average in a, a league of 32 teams. The Giants haven't been average in a really long time. I mean, they've been 28th or worse offensive line for the last five years, I think. So, I think that seems low. I think the Giants probably have around the 20th best offensive line. That's a major improvement. It's still not very good, but it's a major improvement from where they've been. Uh, Glowinski, uh, Feliciano, and um, Neil are the newcomers. Really a lot hinges on Andrew Thomas, the left tackle. He was very not very bad as a rookie, struggled a lot, allowed 10 sacks. He was awesome last year in his second year. I mean, probably their best player. And then he rolled his ankle. He has had off-season ankle surgery the last two years. So he was limping around this spring in OTAs. If he's back healthy, then the goal for him is to be a pro bowler this year. That's his next step. If he does that, the offense can really click. 
if he's hurt or he takes a step back to where he was as a rookie, they have major problems for all the playmakers. So, of course, offensive line looks to be improved. Barkley is healthy. Let's turn to those passing weapons. Now, Daniel Jones has a solid stable of weapons here. It's a big year for Jones. You talked about it. We have Kenny Galladay coming off a disappointing year after the contract. Kadarius Toney, who had some massive upside games, explosive games, really coming back, someone they're looking to take the next step. Sterling Shepard, very reliable, but coming off the Achilles tear. And Wandale Robinson from Kentucky was a target vacuum last year in college, had 104 receptions in just 13 games. No Evan Ingram, tight end. You have Ricky Seals-Jones, you have Jordan Akins, and fourth-round talented athlete Daniel Bellinger coming over from San Diego State. So I'm curious, breakdown the receivers here, tight end, wide receiver. How do you see the pecking order? Could be a lot of moves here. Could be a bounce back for Galladay. Could be Tony taking a next step. How do you see this working out? Well, I'm going to give you – well, I'll start with tight end, then I'll give you a stat that will blow your mind. Um, Daniel Bellinger is tight end one. I know they signed Ricky Seals-Jones and they drafted um, uh, Bellinger in the fourth round, so that might make you think, okay, the rookie's going to – mid-round rookie's going to learn behind the free agent guy. No. Daniel Bellinger is tight end one. How involved he is in the offense, I mean, that depends. I mean, he wasn't super involved at San Diego State, but we've seen guys, George Kittle comes to mind, who didn't have dynamic college careers because of their college offense, who then became better players in the NFL. I'm in no means saying Bellinger is going to be the next George Kittle. I just think he's the, I think, you know, he'll be involved as tight end one and he'll be probably surpass his college stats as a rookie in the NFL. As a wide receiver, I'm going to blow your mind. The Giants' top three receivers, plus their starting tight end and their running back. So those the five positions you really care about in fantasy. Wide receiver one, two, three, running back one, and tight end one. Whoever they've been, the names have changed over the last four years. Golden Tate, Odell Beckham, Sterling Shepard, uh, Kenny Galladay, whoever you would pencil in as wide receiver one, two, three, running back one, and tight end two. Those five positions have had their starter on the state on the field at the same time for two quarters in the last 65 games. So that, that is crazy. That so, is so pick giants at your own risk, is what I would tell you. They're they're often injured, that they're never on the field at the same time. If Shepard's hurt, then Ingram's healthy. If Ingram's hurt, then uh Tate's hurt then if Tate's healthy then you know uh who have then Darius Slayton was hurt and they've never they just can never get the five guys on the field at the same time ever so even in spring this year Kadarius Tony barely practiced he was in a red jersey uh Kenny Galladay was in a red jersey Tony's coming off surgery so how's it gonna look I would expect they're not gonna all be on the field at the same time so Whoever scores the most fantasy points for the Giants at receiver in a given week is going to change from week to week based on who's healthy. I would not expect Galladay, Tony, Wandale Robinson, and Sterling Shepard, the top four receivers, to all be there at the same healthy at the same time. And it's like, oh, well, pick your poison. Which of these guys is going to do it? That's not going to happen. It's going to be which of these, which two of these four guys are healthy this week. They'll score the points. So, Ryan, you said two quarters, right? Not even two games, two quarters. Two quarters of one game in the last 65 games. And I would think then that would lead you to think that Wandale Robinson could get some significant time here, assuming he stays healthy, because what you're saying is the other players probably will not. So Robinson maybe could slide in and do some things here. Yeah, unless he catches whatever it is that the Giants have that 
causes all the receivers to get injured all the time. Whoever's healthy is going to be it. If it's Wandale Robinson, he'll have plenty of opportunities. I mean, Dante Pettis scored a touchdown for the Giants last year. I mean, why? Because he was wide receiver one at one point. Like, that's just the way that's just the way it's been. Darius Slayton had two good years for the Giants and then not a, such a great third year. And then he really struggled in OTAs. People are ready, Giants fans are ready to trade him or cut him. It's like at least like he at least he contributes when he's healthy. So I wouldn't write him off yet either. Last question here for the Giants, Ryan. Great stuff. Giants schedule and projection. I feel like the Giant fans on social media always say to me, their schedule is impossible every year. That's always what I tend to hear. This year, per Vegas projected win totals, they have the easiest schedule according to that measure. Giants win total over under is seven. You have Dallas, Philadelphia getting a lot of buzz, of course, in the division. There could be some big improvement here. What are your thoughts on the Giants this year, a season for Big Blue in 2022? Look, I don't think the roster is very talented. I think they're one of the three least talented teams in the NFL. So uh, by that measure, I would tell you under seven. But I think you hit the nail on the head there, Mike. Like the schedule is so easy for the Giants. I think if you break down the NFL, there's seven or eight good teams that can win the Super Bowl. We know who they are, right? We don't have to rattle them off. The seven or eight powers that could win the Super Bowl. And then I think there's seven or eight bad teams. And the Giants play pretty much every one of them. And, every, and then there's the rest of the league is squished in the middle. But the Giants play the Panthers, the Seahawks, the Falcons, the Jaguars, the Texans. The Giants play all those teams. So if they go 5-2 and two against those teams, then seven's very realistic. They go 2-5 and five against those teams. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Somebody out of that group is going to go 1-6 against the rest of that group. And that team's going to be the worst team in the NFL. I would take under seven, but I think you hit it on the head. The Giants' schedule, very easy, and it's overdue to be easy. The Giants fans who complain about the schedule being hard are right. It has been grueling the last couple of years. Giants haven't done themselves any favors, lost a lot of winnable games. The stat is midway point, even though now we have 17 games, the midway point still eight games. After eight games, the Giants have been one and seven or two and six. No more than two, no better than two and six, five straight years. So their season has been over by Halloween, five straight years. I don't think that will be the case this year. Probably like three and five at that point. But to Giants fans, that'll feel like having a heartbeat. Stuff, Ryan, here. Let's move over to the other team in New York. Of course, the Jets. We're fortunate you cover everything in the NFL. Talk about the Jets. Big year here for the Jets as well. Second year under Robert Sala. Second year for Zach Wilson, the quarterback. Finished 4-13 and last year, but there is reason for optimism this year. What's the overall feeling for Salah's second year and Zach Wilson under center after really an understandable up-and-down rookie season? Let me tell you something that's crazy. I was trying after the after the Jets free agency, and then after they picked the three first rounders, Garrett Wilson, uh, Sauce Gardner, and Jermaine Johnson. They had one of the first picks of the second round, and I looked at the roster. I said, "What do they need?" And it was like such a crazy thing to like. They haven't made the playoffs in ten years. They won four games or five games last year. What do you mean they should need everything? But, like, it just didn't feel like a team that needed starters somewhere by the second round of the draft. I think it's a much improved team from where they were last year. Certainly light years ahead of where they were two years ago. Um, 
it's a really young team and young teams, you know, obviously can go a little roller coaster. They can have high impact games and then they can have games where they disappear. It's a young team, but I think it's an exciting team. I think it's a better team. Obviously they're going to go as Zach Wilson goes. The cliche is that quarterbacks take a big jump in their second year. Certainly is not the case for everybody. Lamar Jackson did. Yes. Patrick Mahomes did. I don't know that Zach Wilson is that kind of guy. Uh, Daniel Jones went backwards. The guy we were just talking about went backwards in year two after a coaching change. The good thing for Wilson is it's the same offense, the same coaching staff, just with better players around him up front and as weapons. So I would look for him to take a step forward. He is still, he does still in practice struggle with accuracy, but I will say having seen Eli Manning, Eli Manning was a much better game quarterback than he was a practice quarterback. Maybe Zach Wilson has a little bit of that in him. Let's look at those receiving weapons. Huge upgrade, I think. You have Elijah Moore, dynamic guy entering year two. Tenth overall pick was Garrett Wilson at Ohio State, four three eight speed. He's a burner. Corey Davis now, I think Ryan, sort of underrated in the fantasy community, slides down to be what could project but may not actually be like the third wide receiver. He's only 27 years old, high draft capital as well. And had a huge and had what I thought was a strong connection with Wilson at that year. Denzel Mims, Braxton Barrios, you have some depth. So I think there's there's some talent and depth at wide receiver, no? Oh, definitely. You name the five guys. Mims, let's put Mims to the side. I think he's on the bubble. He'll probably make the team, but he's definitely wide receiver five or six. Like, yeah, I don't see him having a big impact unless he takes big steps forward or these or there's injuries. The other four guys are really interesting guys. He has the best connection with Braxton Berrios. There are two of those guys who like they spend all their time together in the off season. They have that like unspoken. I know where you're going to be before you th- you get there kind of thing that helps Berrios because I think he's probably the least talented of the four, but probably spends the most time in Wilson's ear, which gets him an advantage. I mean, we know that we've seen that with Brady and receivers for years. Uh, and then the other three are super talented. I mean, Garrett Wilson is a burner who could be a deep threat. Corey Davis, I fe- felt like was just coming on before he got hurt at the end of last year. And totally obviously, agree. Yep. And totally had a agree. big year. Yeah, he had a big year with the Titans to get his free agency contract. I felt like he was finding his own with the Jets right before he got hurt. And then uh, Elijah Moore was, I mean, Elijah Moore should have been a first round pick two years ago. I thought the Jets stole him. I thought he played really well as a rookie too. So uh, I think the Jets have some, I think the Jets have a really intriguing wide receiver core. Um, and then, you know, you add in tight ends, they have three legit tight ends. So I think they have some weapons that, like I said before, it's really on Zach Wilson. This is a, the Giants got to a point, Mike, where it was like, it's Daniel Jones is going to be his fourth season. And they've, they just keep making excuses for him and worthy excuses. And it's what the Jets did with Sam Darnold. It's like, what do we know about him? He's never had this. He's never had that. He's never had this. The Jets were like, enough with the Darnold, enough with the Daniel Jones. We're going to find out it's going to be Zach Wilson's good or it's Zach Wilson's fault that he's not good. They took away all the excuses. Yeah, you mentioned tight end here. C.J. Ozoma comes over from the Bengals, had a career high in receptions and touchdowns. I'm hearing really good things about Tyler Conklin, a well-athletic guy from the Vikings who had a chance to shine with Irv Smith, who was injured last year. Who has the edge there at tight end? Yeah, I mean, you always go with the guy, especially you know when you're looking at free agent A and free agent B, you always go with the guy the team's most invested in, right? And they gave the bigger contract to Uzama. So I would think that he is 
Probably the lead. I mean, and look, the, they love him. I mean, his personality is perfect for New York. They coming from a team that was bad and is then went to the Super Bowl. That's kind of what the Jets are hoping to do. That's their blueprint. Maybe not so. Maybe not such a steep jump as to go from four wins to the Super Bowl, but maybe four to nine to twelve. They're hoping Uzama can kind of show them the blueprint to that that he saw in Cincinnati. So he's definitely tight end one, but. This offense could certainly use two tight ends at times, uh, especially if the wide receivers are injured. Before you would get to the Denzel Mims, Mims, I think you would see two tight end formations. And then don't sleep on the rookie either. I mean, the Ohio State rookie who grew up a Jets fan, whose name is escaping me at the point, There's not a you don't see a lot of tight end threes getting uh, fantasy love, but so probably not for this year. But maybe if it's a year or two down the line, if you have a – Keeper league, if you're looking to stash somebody, I think the Jets tight end from Ohio State is somebody who uh, people said to me during the draft process, like, this guy can really catch. Don't be fooled by his numbers at Ohio State. They made him a blocker first. He Rucker, can be a dynamic. Jeremy yep, Jeremy yeah. Rucker, yep. Yeah, he can be a dynamic NFL receiver. Probably won't happen this year, but down the line. So let's look in the, at the backfield. You know, Brees Hall comes over from Iowa State, and, you know, Iowa State had success. David Montgomery, name, remember, Ryan, we had David Montgomery out there in social media, runs like Barkley, blocks like him. You know, they had him as, a, as an all-pro at every possibility, but he's been a solid running back. Here comes Brees Hall out of Iowa State, 4.39 speed, great receiver in college. Michael Carter flash had some nice moments last year as well. Where are the running back touches? You know, in the fantasy community, it's a big deal here. Where are you looking at in the in the backfield? I think it. I think it'll start out close to 50-50. They want to be respectful of Carter, who had a nice rookie season. Uh, again, in the bottom, in the in the end, it comes down to who you're more invested in, right? They invested a fourth, a fourth round pick, I think, in Carter, and a high second after a trade up uh, in Brees Hall. So they want Brees Hall to win the. It's it really is that simple, Mike. Like when these teams like. When you invest, you want your investment to pay off, so you look smart. So they're more invested in Hall, so I think he'll get the bulk of the carries. But I think it'll be close. I mean, maybe we're talking 60-40. I don't think we're talking 90-10. This isn't, you know, uh, Derrick Henry and whoever Derrick Henry's backup is. Uh, it's We're talking probably 60-40 with a slight edge for Hall once the season gets rolling. Really, the key is who gets the uh, goal line categories. And I think Hall will get the first look there, but certainly it's possible Carter – Carter could steal some. Tevin Coleman's the veteran, but I would say he'll probably have a minimal on-field role. I think you'll you're looking at the two fresh leg uh, young guys to do the bulk of the work. And we're going to spring some of these athletic running backs behind the offensive line. Our Justin Edwards here, four for four, has the Jets ranked 14th, right in the middle there with their offensive line. But of course, Ryan, I need to ask you about Makai Becton. That's the key, working back from surgery, and I think he's sort of the tipping point on whether this line really gets to be a top-10 line in the league. Yeah, I, th I couldn't agree with you more. I think if he plays where he was as a rookie or slightly better, then they probably do have a top-10 line in the league. If he's MIA, if he's – look, he might not even win a starting job. Like they, They've talked about him having to compete for a starting job. Is it going to be on the left side? Is it going to be on the right side? He sounds very motivated. A lot of this pertains to his weight, and he was out of shape last year, and then he got hurt in the season opener. Is that coincidence, or is that out of shape guys get hurt? I don't, you know, it's you know, six to one, half dozen to the other. So if he's in shape, if he's motivated, look, he was better. We talked about Andrew Thomas for a minute ago. Andrew Thomas was bad as a rookie and really good as a second year player. Makai Becton, the other 
uh, high first round offensive tackle from the 2020 draft was good as a rookie, I thought, and then just vanished and uh, uh, last year didn't play was supposed to be out six to eight weeks and just never came back after a week one injury uh, kind of been in the doghouse. Um, he did end up reporting in the spring eventually to mandatory uh, workouts. So if he's, capable of getting back to where he was. I do think it's a top 10 offensive line. If I would put him on the left side, I wouldn't mess with him by also making him change positions, but they do have a lot of confidence in George Fant. They would tell you he's their most underrated player, not just offensive lineman. So Jets schedule and project and projection here, Ryan, they fly under the radar. Then in the AFCs, the bills, of course, one of the Super Bowl favorites, we talked about seven or eight teams, there's an upstart Miami team, a lot of positivity around Tua, Tyreek Hill in Miami, and of course the Patriots. Jets with the six hardest strength to schedule per opposing Vegas win totals. Over-under is just five and a half, but it's juiced towards the over. And a lot of the early bets that came out, Ryan, were for the over for the Jets. A lot of positivity here for Gang Green. How do you see the season 2022? I would take the over if I on five and a half. Um, but really, it's funny, right? Mike, I've said this on other shows before. I'll say it to you as well. If you swapped the schedules, if you gave the Jets the Giants schedule, I'd tell you they're a playoff team. Even in the loaded AFC, I would tell you they're, they're a 9-10. They're right in the competition for the 7 seed. They're a 9-win, you know, 10-win team. With their schedule, they're probably a 7-win team. And the AFC is, you know, probably has 10 of the 15 best teams in the NFL right now are in the AFC. So it's like if you gave the Giants the Jets schedule, I tell you they're they're going to finish three with three wins. If you gave the Jets the Giants schedule, I tell you they're probably going to finish with nine or ten wins. As it is, I think the Jets are probably a seven win team. The Giants are probably less, but that Vegas has them at seven. If they're both at seven wins, then the Jets are still the much better team. Uh, the problem for me with the Jets schedule is I think they start four straight games against the AFC North. I mean they'll be lucky to come out of that one and three. Uh, maybe two and two if Deshaun Watson is suspended week that, two. Ryan, that's a great call. They're home Baltimore at Cleveland, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. If so, if they if Deshaun Watson suspended for that game, maybe they can come out and they beat Pittsburgh. Maybe they can come out of there two and two. But the Jets don't face a team that you're like the Jets are definitely better than this team. Definitely hands down better than this team. They don't face a team like that, I think, till week 12 or 13 with Chicago. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot. You could be you could be buried by then. You could be three and nine by then or three and eight by then. And that's hard to get out of. So all of their schedules front loaded. All their easy games are at the end. So they'll, they'll be able to make up ground, but they're not going to make up ground on the Bills. The question is, are they going to be able to make up ground on the Dolphins, the Patriots or anybody else chasing that seven seed? Looking at it, Ryan, you're right. Two and two is really it would be a critical start for them because starting in week six at Green Bay, at Denver, home New England, home Bills, bye, and then at New England before they get a break. So you're right. That is. And when is who's after at New England? Then they got Chicago home at there Minnesota. You go. So, when, at so when is when yep. is that Chicago game? That Chicago game is uh, November 27th. Week. 12. So you're talking Thanksgiving is the first time that you're confidently putting in a W. That you're like they're better than this team. Dub. Now that's not going to be their first win. They'll beat other teams, but that's the first time you're like, yes, W. Uh, great, Ryan. Amazing, amazing stuff, folks. Ryan Dunleavy on Twitter at Ryan Dunleavy covers NFL for the New York Post. An amazing job, Ryan. Thank you so much. Two teams here, New York, right in the hometown with me. 
really excited about it. He gave us a tremendous amount of stats and nuggets. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great season. Thanks, Mike. We bring in Chris Easterling. Chris does a fantastic job. He covers the Browns for the Akron Beacon Journal, Gannett, Ohio. We're going to talk Cleveland Browns. There's a lot to talk about here, off-season stories, projections for a team that really in the fantasy community we are very focused on with some changes. So please follow Chris at C. Easterling ABJ on Twitter. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here on a Friday in the summer. How you doing? Not too bad, Mike. How you doing? We're doing okay, and we're very interested in the Browns. Third year under head coach Kevin Stefanski. Massively successful first year, right? 11-5, and one at Pittsburgh. Huge win in the playoffs. Close loss against the Chiefs. Stefanski had coach of the year. Now, last year, 8-9, and nine, finished third in the AFC North, which is interesting. Fourth consecutive year, they finished third. In fact, the Browns haven't finished higher than third in the division since 2007. I don't want to bury the lead, though. There's a lot of optimism here, but I think we have to start with, of course, Deshaun Watson. Baker Mayfield, now in Carolina just a few days ago. I'd like a status update on Washington, Watson in terms of how you think it's going to go with the suspension because I really think, Chris, that is sort of the biggest factor. This is a talented Browns team, a lot of potential. They've showed grit. They have a great home field advantage. But I think we have to start with Watson. What are you hearing so far? Well, I think that's a $230 million question, isn't it? With the, um, you know, nothing right now because it's, it's all just reports. You know, the one person who knows Sue Robinson isn't talking. You know, we, we've gotten a lot of reports over the last couple of weeks about, oh, you know, the, the NFL didn't do this and they're investing, you know, they're, during the hearings, you know, the NFLPA did this. My gut is it falls somewhere between six and ten games. I don't think I don't think either of the extremes, either the no suspension, which is what the NFLPA and the Watson side wants, nor the indefinite suspension is something that happens. But I think there's still going to be some sort of suspension. And my gut right now, if you had put, you know, if I had to put something on it, uh, you know, here in the Friday morning, uh, July eighth, or it is July. It's correct. Um, I, I would go eight. Uh, you know, why not? Uh, July 8th, we'll, we'll go with eight games. But, you know, nothing would surprise me because, you know, I think we're still a couple of weeks away from even finding out when this when this discipline is actually going to be rendered because post-hearing briefs aren't due until, uh, until next week. And she has shown through the process, Sue Robinson, that is, that she's being very meticulous and – I don't know if that's good for Watson, bad for Watson. I, I, it's hard to say, but uh, but but certainly I, I'm leaning more now toward toward eight games than maybe a month ago, where I thought, oh, he may really be out for the whole season. One more follow up here, Chris. Do you take the should we take as fans the Baker Mayfield trade? as the Browns are starting to feel more confident that it's not going to be a year suspension or were those two things mutually exclusive? Mutually exclusive. I think it, I, I think it was always, it didn't matter if, uh, if uh, Deshaun Watson was gone for three years, uh, uh, Baker Mayfield and was getting traded. I just think it was, uh, it was a relationship that just, just was untenable at this point. Uh, and, and once they had gone out, and acquired Deshaun, it, it it pretty much sealed the fate that that Baker Mayfield was going to going to be traded, and and I think everybody sort of assumed it was eventually going to be Carolina. It was just a matter of uh, you know making the dollars work more than anything else. 
Well, it's probably going to be Jacoby Brissett, at least for a little period of time, solid NFL QB with experience, but I think that puts more emphasis here on the running game. Nick Chubb, probably best pure runner in the NFL in the backfield, second in the league in rushing yards last year and in 2019, 39 touchdowns. Talk about consistency, Chris, in four NFL seasons. He's hovered around ninth or 10th, though, at the position in snap share because he's sharing touches with Kareem Hunt, who's still a factor. Do you see that split as the same this year? Chubb getting more work? You know, there's always rumblings on social media, maybe Kareem Hunt getting traded. How do you see here Chubb, one of the best running backs in the NFL? You know, I, I think in theory they're going to, to run the ball more Maybe a little bit with when with Jacoby Brissett, you know, uh, at quarterback for the interim at least, but I don't think it's necessarily going to mean more more carries for Nick Chubb. It just Stefanski's mo over the first two years has been, yeah, I've got this top three to five running back in the league, but I'm not going to overwork him. I for for some reason he seems, and, and for some obvious reasons, I mean, considering. You know that um, they uh, they do have Kareem Hunt, and and to be to be fair, they also have Darius Johnson, who they signed to a to a one year deal uh, last month. And and I think between the three of them, they're going to cobble together. I think some a few more carries overall, but I don't necessarily think it's going to mean a bigger workload on Nick, at least, uh, you know, barring some sort of injury, because that's really, I would say, their deepest position on, on the whole team. And uh, it's something that, you know, why wear down a player of Nick Chubb's caliber, and as great as he is, why wear him down in, you know, September and October when, you know, you're going to need him in December and January if this team can, can stay in the playoff hunt. Yeah, and, and you you mentioned Dearness Johnson certainly produced last year as well. We remember here in the fantasy community, all of a sudden Dearness Johnson there against Denver, 168 total yards, then against the Patriots, 157. So whoever's in this backfield is going to produce, but like, it's good to hear Chubb is going to stay consistent. Listen, he's been super efficient. If he gets a couple more carries here and there, really could move forward. Let's take a look at wide receiver. Now, Cleveland made a big move at wide receiver. They're trying to get more consistent production. They bring in one of the most consistent wideouts in the NFL and Amari Cooper. You know, Beckham was up and down, the connection or lack thereof with Baker Mayfield. Now you have Amari Cooper. You have a third-round pick on Purdue product, David Bell, sort of a polarizing guy here, Chris. Great college production, but didn't have great workout metrics there at the Combine. Donovan Peoples-Jones flash. David Njoku here from New Jersey gets a huge contract at tight end, so he could take a step forward. Talk me through the receiving options. Obviously, it's Cooper first. He dominates the targets, but who do you think is second? I think David Bell emerges as the number two option. I, I really do. Now, we, we're watching him in OTAs and mini camps, and you know, take all that with a grain of salt because we've all had seen those stories, not just in Cleveland, but but across the league of guys who've who've shined and and you know with with no shoulder pads on. But uh, I've really liked what I've seen out of David Bell, and I think in this offense, he really has a chance to stand out as that option opposite Cooper. Um, Donovan Peoples Jones is is a guy who you see flashes. You've seen flashes over his first two years, but I, they're still waiting for that to put it all together for a consistent season. And I think consistency is something that they're they're you know they're still waiting for DPJ to show that. But I I think it's there. And then the, the you know the the third 
guy in the, the receiving room that I think is sort of a, a wild card is Anthony Schwartz. You know, he comes out in the first game of his career against Kansas City and has a decent day. And then from there, he's in the next week, he, you know, he's the receiver who, you know, was involved on the pass that led to the interception that led to the Baker Mayfield shoulder injury. And, and he just, I mean, injuries and, you know, inconsistency he had last year. And, you know, if he can kind of take a step forward, that's another weapon with a lot of speed that they can use. And then, you know, when you talked about Kevin Stefanski offenses, if you don't talk about the tight ends, you know, I think you're really, uh, you know, you're really missing a key factor in his offense. And David Njoku, obviously, they signed to a, you know, signed to a big deal this uh, this offseason. And, and I think the, the onus is on him to take a step forward. If, if he takes a big step forward and becomes the guy that, I think they envisioned him becoming since all the way back when they drafted him. Uh, you know, I think, boy, the, the the matchup issues you can create by with him, whether you line up put him in line, you split him out, you 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 know, wherever you put him in this formation, it, it you know it just unlocks so much more. And and Harrison Bryant's just going to be a solid solid tight end, you know, two way tight end. He, He's going to block. He's going to make catches. It's not going to be flashy, but he's just going to get the job done. And, and you know, he's shown that over his over his time in Cleveland so far. It's just a matter of you don't have the Austin Hooper there anymore. And with no Austin Hooper there, it's like a, a, another option at tight end. It just puts more it, – it puts the onus on Njoku and Bryant both to kind of take another step forward. And in Joku's case, I, I think they're looking for a big step forward. Yeah, and this entire offense, the, the the focus and the foundation is the offensive line. Our Justin Edwards here at 4 for 4 football ranked Cleveland 7th. No J.C. Treader at center. They did bring in Ethan Posick. Hopefully we'll have a full season or close to it from Jack Conklin, who's recovering from that torn patella tendon. Even with Conklin missing half the season, Brown's offensive line first overall, 4.85 adjusted line yards per rushing attempt. In this division with these teams, Chris, Pittsburgh, Baltimore should be healthy again. Offensive line players critical. How good is Brown's offensive line going to be in 2022? If healthy, I think it could be one of the best in the league. And, and you know, you, you look two years ago and the parts are all there except for, like you say, Treader's gone and he's been replaced by by Nick Harris, who I think is going to get the first shot at, at center. The, they drafted him a couple of years ago out of Washington. And, you know, he took all the snaps during the – most of the first-team snaps uh, during the OTAs in minicamp. And, you know, obviously, Treader played the games, but Nick got a lot of work during practice, especially a year ago. He was taking a lot of the practice reps because Treader would get – He'd be on the bike or he'd, you know, he'd get a veteran's day off or what have you. So Harris got a lot of practice reps a year ago. So, you know, they're, they're counting on him to, you know, again, with a lot of these younger guys, it's just a matter of take that natural progression, that natural step forward. But, you know, with Jed Wills and Conklin at the tackles, if they can be healthy, that's a solid tackle tandem. And, you know, Batonio and Teller at the guards, I mean, if there is a better tandem – of guards in the league, uh, it's a very, very short list. So I think if this team gets some good health up front, which they didn't have a year ago, Wills had an ankle injury. You mentioned Conklin. Uh, it, 
if they can maintain some good health up front, I think it's a unit that can, again, be maybe the best in the entire NFL. It's certainly one of the best. Yeah, and that's the key. That's why they were able to keep that game close with Kansas City a couple of years ago. They're going to run the ball. They're going to control tempo. They're going to control the, the the line of scrimmage. That is really critical, especially if Watson does come back, like you're guessing, eight games, second half of the year. Let's look at the defense. D- Brown's defense, 11th overall in DVOA last year. Great against the pass, but did struggle against the run. They were 10th overall in sacks per game and almost had three sacks per game in home contests, so protecting the home field. Can the pass defense continue to be strong and the rush defense improve? Because I think this bunch, this is certainly a group here in Cleveland, Chris, has a lot of upside defensively. Yeah, I love the upside of this defense. And and, and kind of with like along the lines with the offensive line, a lot of it just hinges on health. You know, you've got Miles Garrett, one of the best edge rushers in the game. On the opposite side, if you can get this, a similar production out of Jadavian Clowney that you got a year ago, maybe even a little bit more now that he's played a year with Miles, that's a heck of a tandem. You know, in the secondary, Denzel Ward, when he's healthy, is one of the best in the league. Greg Newsom showed a lot of promise as a, as a rookie a year ago. Again, stay healthy. You know, that's a pretty good cornerback tandem. You know, Greedy Williams and, and Martin Emerson are sort of the wild cards at that corner spot because Greedy's just been plagued by injuries coming out since coming out of LSU, and Emerson's a rookie. But if they can get something, either a healthy Greedy Williams or Martin Emerson taking a step forward, that helps when they slide uh, Greg Newsom into the slot, which is, I think, their plan uh, this year in, in terms of when, when they go to kind of the nickel. And then at safety, you know, Grant Delpit showed flashes last year of really being what they envisioned him coming, you know, coming out of college. John Johnson the third, Ronnie Harrison. I, I think it's a really, really good secondary when healthy. So, you know, you couple that with, the, you know, with Clowney and Garrett and the pass defense, I, I don't, I don't have, I don't think there should be an issue with that if healthy. Now the run defense is another issue and, and, you know, defensive tackle was an area that they sort of addressed. They brought in Taven Bryant. They drafted Perry on Winfield, uh, Winfrey, I'm sorry, uh, out of Oklahoma, but Outside of that, you know, they were in a little bit on Indomitian Sioux back in May and June, but that's kind of dro- uh, dropped off. So it's really guys like Jordan Elliott and, and Tommy Togi and, and, and guys like that, along with Brian and, and Winfrey, they're going to have to step up and help, you know, help along that that uh, interior defensive line. And and, and then again, you know, linebackers, Alusa uh, Koromoa, Walker, I mean, Phillips, Phillips, another guy, you know, was if he can stay healthy, you know, he he talked about, you know, after minicamp, he talked about being a little bigger, putting on a little bit more bulk to help him get through the season, you know, get through the rigors of of, of an NFL season, which he struggled with the first two years out of college. But if they can take a step forward there, you know, it, because they do in this league, in this division specifically, you need to be able to stop the run or at least slow it down. You got mixing in. In Cincinnati, you know, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards should be healthy and in, in, in Baltimore, uh, Pittsburgh with Najee Harris. I mean, you have to stop the run, and that's something they struggled with last year a little bit. And uh, they're they're sort of banking on some some guys, kind of like with the receiver room, some guys to take a step forward to help, you know, close that gap from where they need to be from where they are to 
from where they are to where they need to be, I should say, in, in that run defense. Well, listen, one more question, Chris. This has been great. We'll get you out of here. Brown's schedule and projection. Disappointing year last year, but the benefit comes with their schedule. They have the seventh easiest schedule per Vegas projected win totals. Steelers, Bengals rank inside the top seven hardest. This is one of the best divisions in football. Browns were getting a lot of action in the gambling world as a possible division winner. Now that has been pulled as their over-under has been pulled until the Watson thing settles. The win total was hovering around nine, nine and a half. How do you see the Browns schedule and win total this year going? Boy, it's it's tough without, you know, you, you're just missing that one key, you know, that one key answer that that helps helps you really make a decision. If it's six to eight with 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 Watson on the suspension, I think there's there's still a chance to get to nine wins. You know, you look at the first half of the schedule, especially the first six games, are very manageable. You obviously have a, a you know week five home game against the Chargers. You got a week six home game against the Patriots. But other than that, you, you know you have the Steelers, but you know they're breaking in Trubisky or or Pickett at, at quarterback. You know, Baker's obviously there in Carolina, but it's going to be Baker's first regular season game in Carolina. So, you know, it's sort of a wild card. I think they can survive it. It's after that Patriots game, though, where I think it really kind of gets tough. You got a game at Baltimore, a Monday nighter at home against Cincinnati before the bye. If Deshaun's out anything more than eight, and I, you know, I think he, I lean seven, eight, maybe at the you know at the max but if if the watson suspension is eight or less you know i can see them pushing nine maybe ten again depending on whether it's six or eight because if it gets eight you know you, you include those games against baltimore and cincinnati and i just think that's a tall task you know no, no disrespect intended to jacoby Brissett, but I, I i think they would certainly prefer to have deshaun watson for for those those big games in the division Yep, and as the schedule gods have it, you mentioned it. Week one at Carolina, 1 o'clock p.m. on CBS. Get your popcorn ready. Folks, great job here. Chris Easterling on Twitter at CEasterlingABJ. Covers the Browns for the Akron Beacon, Beacon Journal. Chris, thank you so much for a few minutes. Browns are a pivotal team, and like we said, we're all waiting to hear what's going to happen with Watson because this is a team that, when healthy and fully loaded, could really make a move forward. They've made some nice moves in the offseason, and, of course, they're in one of the best divisions of football. Thanks so much for joining us here at 4 Hey, thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate it. It's fun.